0: following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I don't know if you've ever met someone uh, like this, but sometimes people have a particular physical Bible that they, it's like their Bible, and they have like a really, like they really love that Bible. Like they have like a weird commitment to that particular book. Have you ever met someone like that? Uh, I, I am one of those people. I have um, this particular Bible. I usually don't preach from this Bible, but this is like the Bible that I, I study with. If I'm not studying digitally, this is the Bible that um, I usually study with. And it's, it's a little bit, um, the reason I'll preach with it, it's a little bit bigger, a little bit clunkier. Um, and you see like i've had this for years it's kind of getting worn away and um, but man, this particular Bible is just so important to me like i like I know the smell of this book, okay don't mock me all right i'm being honest this is a safe place like this has got a smell to me okay like it it's like half like coffee stained okay, and like probably tear-stained at places. I mean, this is a really important. It's one of those artifacts that it's, it's, I know it's just a book, but it's been through so many significant critical moments that it's like it carries a larger significance to me. And, like, I could take you to pages in here, in this book, that I can tell you, like, right where I was sitting. Like, I'm at a page right now. That's actually got a date on it. And I could tell you, like this, when I read this page, my life changed the direction. I mean, it would be something far too intimate and personal for me to share in a sermon. But like this page, I mean, there's pages that have dates on it. I mean, there's there's markings all through it. I mean, and there's and I don't want to give the, the impression that, like, every time I open it, like, lightning strikes. I mean, there's stuff in here that, like, I've got, like, question marks by stuff that I still don't fully, uh, completely understand, that I'm still trying to learn. And, but there's so much, because there are moments, I mean, that I've wept on certain of these pages. Like, I've found relief and freedom on some of these pages. Like, this particular Bible, I've been through so much, like, this carries a significant weight for me. And through this series, our hope is that you would have a relationship like that with your Bible. And not necessarily like a a physical Bible. It doesn't have to be an actual book. But I'm talking like that you would have that kind of relationship with your Bible, whether it's an app or it's a digital or physical, you would have that kind of relationship. Two weeks ago we talked about How do you read the Bible? We talked about the SOAP method. It's something that whether you've never read the Bible before, um, you can easily utilize it. We've got parents that are doing it with their children now. It's very simple. But if you've been studying the Bible all your life or for decades, you could still use it and draw out truths from it. It's a powerful tool. Last week we talked about the importance of the Bible as an authority. We want everyone who's part of our church to have that kind of relationship with their Bible. But here's the big question that I want to address today. Why? Is it because if you have like a really worn Bible, like you're super spiritual, okay? If you have like a bunch of underlines all throughout your Bible, you have extra God points or something like that. No, of course not. If you have Jesus, you have all the God points you could possibly have. There's nothing you could do to gain more points. It's just Jesus. So why is it to be more religious? Is it to be more spiritual? Why is it so critical to have that kind of relationship with the Bible? And we're going to wrap up this series today looking at a scripture that talks about that. Open in your Bible or Bible app to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Let's walk through this together. Luke 4 starting in verse 1. Luke is a book. That tells like the biography of Jesus, tells the story of Jesus, and it tells a particular episode in his life. Look what it says, Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, this is like the biggest understatement in the entire Bible. He was hungry. I think he probably was. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. All right, let's set the stage a little bit for what's happening. This same episode is recorded in the book of Matthew, and instead of saying the devil, it says the tempter. It's the enemy, it's Satan. It's the one who, with all of his uh, demonic angels, is against God's people, against God, and especially against Jesus. This is what he does. And he, he is tempting Jesus in the wilderness. This is um, Satan himself tempting Jesus. The last time, he's not um, omnipresent. He's, Satan is a creature He he was an angel that's fallen. He was made by God. He's not everywhere all the time. So he is personally taking this particular temptation uh, that he wants to do personally. The last time something of this drama when it comes to temptation happened, it was all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Remember Satan came in the form of a snake and tempted Eve to take the fruit which also Adam then took the fruit. They both fell into temptation. And this actually reveals an interesting parallel and uh, and contrast. Adam and Eve are going to be tempted in three specific ways, and it's all the ways Jesus is tempted. The difference is Adam and Eve were in a lush, perfect garden where they had absolutely everything and all their needs met. And Jesus is in the Judean wilderness, which is basically a barren wasteland almost without life altogether. And he has been tempted for he's being tempted, he's been hungry for 40 days. Now, an important thing to know about this text is: did you notice that it said, the spirit led him into the wilderness? So him, this is important to understand how this temptation is gonna roll out. The spirit has taken him, God the Father has commanded God the Son into the wilderness. He's there in the wilderness and he's there fasting as a matter of obedience. Now it says in, just kind of really uh, underscoring it, he is hungry. Now 40 days without food is pretty much the limit of the human body. That's pretty much the limit. And it might be miraculous to go any further. And so at this point, every cell in Jesus' body is screaming for sustenance. It, within a few hours, his body might shut down and he would die, barring some kind of miraculous intervention. I want to put that in perspective. He didn't just go on a hike. He has been fasting food. He is on the verge. He is desperate, okay? Okay? Now, I have never been to that degree of hunger, hunger um, on the brink of starvation. I would assume that most of us here or watching online have not been to that degree of starvation. But I do know how my body reacts when I'm even just a little hungry, okay? I want you to think back to the last time, like, um, you were just a little bit late for a meal. Like, I'm talking like you just missed lunch. It's been like a couple hours, and you're hangry, Okay? All right, and there's something about when you're hungry that everything makes you think about food. Like recently, Rebecca and I went um, to dinner with a couple friends, and I realized, like, we're about to eat dinner, but we're in the car together, and we're talking about food on the way to the restaurant. Have you ever done that? Like, why are we talking about, we're not to eat food. We weren't even talking about the food at the restaurant we were going to. We were just talking about food. I mean, When you're hungry, that's all you can think of. Like, have you ever had that kind of experience? Like someone's at the office and your coworker's like, hey, did you follow up with Tanya? And you say, I'd love some lasagna. Yes, absolutely. Get me a a, a helping as well. I'd love some. I mean, there's something about when you're hungry, your body, when your body wants something, it's not quiet about it. It tells you. So here's Jesus. He's probably at the point of near um, delirious, maybe even hallucinating. And at that point, the devil tempts him in a certain way. He says, hey, look, if you're the son of God, how about you just take that stone right there and, and turn it into bread? Now, I want you to picture the stones in, in a place like this in the wilderness. They're all smoothed over, round, okay? And I, I want you to think of what the bread looks like in the Middle East. It's like that big, round, fluffy pita, okay, thin and round, okay. You're like, this is way too close to lunch for you to be talking like this, all right? But I want you to think he's this hungry, like he might even be looking at these stones and like like maybe even somewhat delusional at what he's looking at. And the devil takes this opportunity as desperate as he is and he says, how about if you're the Son of God, just turn that into bread. Jesus does far more miraculous things than that in his ministry. He feeds 5,000 people with one small lunch. He turns water into wine. I mean, he, he could easily do that. What is the type of temptation that he's undergoing from the enemy? It's a temptation of his body. The urges of the body. When the body makes its demands and it's not silent. The urges. But I want you to understand where Jesus is, is at a level of bodily urgency that almost certainly none of us have experienced. So I want you to to frame up this temptation, understanding he is within hours probably of his body shutting down. Like he's not saying, oh, I need food. Like we typically talk about, oh, I need something. When we say, oh, I need something, we're saying I really, really want it and I can't picture not having it. There's very few things that we really need and and those are seasons of our life when that does happen. That's what Jesus is at. He needs it or he'll die and... He has the full capacity to easily provide it for himself. So why doesn't he? Like, what is the big deal? Just turn that into bread. The Spirit led him into the wilderness and has led him to fast. The only thing keeping him is his conviction that he's being obedient by continuing to fast. The level of temptation, you cannot get more severe than this in being tempted bodily. And I want you to see what Jesus' response is to this temptation. Verse 4. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Very simple response here. He opens up with this. This is what the Bible says. It is written. And then he makes a quotation from the Old Testament. He's quoting out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Why is he quoting out of Deuteronomy? What happens in Deuteronomy? Well, God's people are wandering around in the wilderness. Not surprising that Jesus is taking that time while he's in the wilderness to remember what it was like for God's people in the wilderness and what lessons did they learn in the wilderness. That's where his mind is. In fact, he's going to have three temptations. He's going to respond each time very simply saying, it is written, and then quote a part of Scripture, and the first one's going to be out of Deuteronomy 8, this one, and then the next two out of Deuteronomy 6. His mind is thinking about when God's people were wandering in the wilderness and what they learned. And so here's the devil saying, just turn that into a loaf of bread. What's the big deal, Jesus? You can do it. He's tempting his body at a level of extreme temptation that it's hard for us, to, for us to even imagine, and Jesus responds with a quotation from the Scripture, which is the perfect, absolute, most brilliant response to bodily temptation. Why? The full quotation, if you go back to Deuteronomy, is man does not live by bread alone, but on everything that comes from the mouth of God. And he's quoting where Moses is reminding God's people of something. Moses is giving a speech in Deuteronomy 6 and in 8, these passages he's quoting. And Moses is reminding the people about their time in the wilderness. And when Moses quotes this, man does not live by bread alone, but all that comes from the mouth of God. He says, remember when God brought you into the wilderness and you were hungry? He said, and God humbled you? And provided manna for you. He brought them into the wilderness where they could no longer provide food for themselves. That was humbling. They realized, I cannot provide for my own needs. Humbled them so that they're dependent on God. And then he demonstrated that he was able to provide for them by providing manna. What was manna? They would wake up every morning and it said there was this white wafer-like substance all over the ground that was a little bit sweet like honey. I'm so glad they describe what manna tastes like. I envision it like a Ritz cracker with a little bit of honey on top. Again, we're just keep talking about food here because it's almost lunchtime and I'm getting hangry myself as we're talking about this. Um, they would scoop up this manna and it would perfectly provide sustenance for them every single day. What was God demonstrating to them? He's bringing them out to a place where they cannot provide for themselves. That humbles them. They realize they need God as the provider. And he says, you don't live by bread alone, but what comes from my mouth? In other words, I am showing you, Israel, that you really don't need bread more than you need me. What you need more than food is God. Because God can provide food when we need it. So when the the loud urges of the body make their demands we can say body I know you think you need this body but I need something more than that I just need God And here's what's fascinating A little while later, Jesus preaches the most famous sermon in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, He's talking about the goodness of God as our Father. And He says, God is so good. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will the Father give him a stone? Wait a minute, isn't that the opposite? Because Jesus is saying, "Um, I don't need bread. If God provides a stone, that's what I'll have. Because Jesus is explaining what, he, this is the, the situation that explains that truth. No matter what God brings in your life, whether it looks like bread or a stone, it's always the exact bread that you need. And the moment God knows you need something else, that your body needs something else, He'll take it from, uh, from a stone and make it bread. He's saying, look, I just need God. God knows what my body needs. When God wants to feed my body with bread, He'll provide it. And with that, He perfectly undoes the temptation of the body. But the devil's not done yet. Look what he says next. Verse 5. And the devil took Him up and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to Him, To you I will give all This authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. In a split second, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So, all of their wealth, their technology, all they offer, all their power, all their fame all of the glory associated to that. He shows it to Jesus. He shows him Rome, the palaces of Rome, the power of Rome. He shows him the Greek cities, their sophistication and their history. He shows him Egypt with all of its wealth. Shows him the kingdoms from the far east that probably there's... And their time is just legend and rumor about who could possibly know. And he's flashing all this before Jesus. And he says, I'm going to give you all of it. All of the authority to control all of these kingdoms. I'll give you all of their wealth. I'll give you all their technology. I'll give you all their power. I'll give you all the position and the recognition and the fame. I will give it all to you. If, Jesus, you'll worship me. Now before you say, no, there's no way Jesus is going to fall for this. Jesus is going to sell himself to the devil? No way. Before you do this, can you just understand and appreciate the level of temptation this is? This is a different type of temptation than bodily temptation. This is a different type of desire than the urges of the flesh. This is a desire that stems down to things like significance. Significance. Ambition, the greed, the lust for power. It's not the lust of the body, it's the lust for power. It's the drive for security. And if I had all that, no one could touch me. It's the drive to feel significant and valuable. I mean, this is now the desires, not of the body, it's the desires of the heart. It's the things that our eyes see and we want it. And no one, think about this, no one has ever been offered or tempted with what Jesus has just been offered. People have been offered unbelievable, unfathomable sums of money, but not all the money. People have been offered power. I mean, how often is it, all right, if you just cut this corner at work, then you might get that, that promotion. If you just you know, fudge a little bit here, then you can get ahead. That's not what this is. It's I will give you all the authority, all the power, all the recognition, all the fame, everything this world could possibly offer your heart's desire. You will have access to it. Just worship me. Do you see what he's offering Jesus? He's saying, I'm not just I'll make you a king, I'll make you a king of kings. Who is he talking to? I want you to see what Jesus responds with. And Jesus answered him, it is written, again from Deuteronomy, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is Deuteronomy 6. Moses is warning God's people, hey, you are about to go, you've been in the wilderness, you're about to go into the promised land and when you go into the promised land, You are going to be surrounded by people groups who worship false gods. They worship idols. And they worship this idol so that they can get crops. They worship this idol so they can have fertility. They worship this idol so that they can get ahead. This idol so they can have happiness. This idol so they can be protected. They worship all of these idols, trusting those idols to provide those things that their heart wants. And then God says, but remember it was me who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, do you really think those fake pretend statues can provide for you what I can provide for you? The desires of the heart are a worship issue. It's not just the urging of the body. The desires of the heart are what I say... I will serve money because it brings me security. I will serve my career and do what it asks me to so that I can get ahead. I will serve this this part of my job because that's what gives me significance. I will serve this. It's a worship issue rather than saying only the true one living God can provide me the things my eyes see, my heart craves. So I will worship only God. I will only live my life, every sector of my life the way God wants me to, because only He can provide. And with that, He perfectly addresses the temptations of the heart. It's a worship issue, it's a matter of who do you really trust to provide those things that you need in your heart your value, your identity, your significance, your security. Only God can. But the devil's gonna keep going. Look at verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, "If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written." Did you see that? The devil saying, "Oh, you want to play the Bible game? I know some scriptures too, Jesus." He says, "For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What's the temptation here? He takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple. He's probably standing on the southeast corner of the temple, where, which is the centerpiece of all of Israel. It is probably busy, busy, jammed with people. It is the highest point above the ground because it goes hundreds of feet down and then into a valley, probably upwards of 400 feet, sheer, straight, drop. And he says, Jesus, why don't you just jump off? Because you know what the Bible says, Psalm 91. Jesus, he says, God's going to protect you. The angels will swoop you up so that you don't strike your foot against the stone. Now, what's the temptation here? This is, this is really, this is a, a long game here. This is like really deep down temptation. Because Jesus is arriving on the scene as God in the flesh, the Son of God, the Messiah. But he wasn't the first one to claim to be a Messiah. And there was this expectation that Messiahs were going to do incredible feats to demonstrate that they were, in fact, the Messiah from God. And so Satan's got a a, a motive under the surface. Jesus, look, if you were to jump off, and the Bible says angels are going to pick you up, I mean, your work here is done, right? They would know you're the Messiah, Man, Jesus, that would be a very quick, easy way. I mean, that's what the Bible says, right? So, Jesus, that would be a really easy way to avoid all the headache of what you're about to go through. Now, how much of the plan of what Jesus had come to do to die for our sins, to pay for the sins of the world and rise again from the dead, how much suffering Jesus had to go through, how much of that Satan knew, we, we, we don't know. He probably had an idea from all the Old Testament revealed. He had to know at least that Jesus was facing some suffering, but the temptation is to use the Bible for an easier way to accomplish his mission, to be the Messiah, right? Everyone would acknowledge him as the Messiah. Wouldn't that accomplish your mission, Jesus? Why not just do it? It's what the Bible says. Look at what Jesus says. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In other words, Jesus once again quotes Deuteronomy 6. And in this part, Moses is telling God's people, he says, he says I want to remind you of something. He says, I want to remind you of when you put the Lord to the test, Moses says. And you can read about what Moses is talking about in Exodus 17. They had just come into the wilderness, and they had no water. A couple million of them with their whole families, their children, everything they've got, and there's no water. And they start grumbling, and they say to Moses, how is this a good plan? You brought us all the way out here, and there's no water? None of us are going to survive. I mean, the amount of water, Moses, we're going to have to have. I mean, this is pretty obvious. Didn't you think about this? couple million people in the desert like how was this a good idea and Moses says why are you testing God because a question like that is a test against God and Moses takes his staff by God's direction and strikes a rock and from a rock the most unlikely source a spring opens up and water flows out and it was a lesson to be embedded perfectly in God's people that they would always know you can trust God even when it doesn't make sense he's tempted Jesus body he's tempted Jesus heart and now he's tempting Jesus mind Jesus there's an easier way to be a Messiah. Why do you have to go through all this suffering? Why, why do you have to do that? Look, wasn't, doesn't that make sense, Jesus? It's Jesus, what the Bible says. And he's tempting Jesus to take an easier route that might make sense to someone rather than following God even when it doesn't make sense. Christian, while the, the temptations of the body may scream the largest, the loudest, the temptations of the heart Maybe some of the the most longest term temptations, but it's sometimes the temptations of the mind that take our feet out from under us when we say, God, I just can't do this anymore because it does not make sense to me. And what Jesus is saying is God's people have learned their lesson. We don't test God. We can bring our feelings before Him, but we don't test God say, I know better than you, so I'm out, God, because this doesn't make sense to me. Because if we're actually dealing with an almighty God, clearly we're dealing with a being who's infinitely more wise and intelligent than we are. The temptation of the mind says, ah, it's got to make sense to you for you to follow God. But we surrender our bodies, our hearts, and our mind to God. Christian, can I tell you what your Jesus just demonstrated in this passage? Let me tell you about your Jesus. You you know what? It's not just that he was in the wilderness and Adam and Eve were in a garden. Do you know what it says when Eve is about to pluck the fruit? It says this She looked at the fruit and she saw that it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and good to making someone wise. Good as food for the body, a delight. Something she wanted from the heart and something she wanted to gain more wisdom. Adam and Eve were tempted, body, heart, and mind, and failed in a perfect garden. And here's Jesus in the wilderness on the brink of his body coming apart. And he withstands those temptations. In fact, as he's thinking back to the time in the wilderness... He's demonstrating that he can do what Israel, God's people themselves, could not do in the wilderness. He's demonstrating how, what faith looks like in the midst of those temptations of the body, the heart, and the mind. And so why do we say this? I want you to see what did your Savior, your Jesus, do to withstand temptation so that he could be a perfect sinless sacrifice and offer his perfect life for us. as a a substitute sacrifice so that he could die on the cross, pay for our sins, and then rise from from the dead. What did Jesus do to fight off that temptation? Did he just send some kind of like pulse of spiritual power out and vaporize the devil? No. What did he use? He used something. He used the scripture. Every time he used the Bible. That's all he said. He just said, this is what the Bible says, and quoted it. Christian, why... Why is studying the Bible so important? Because there is a real enemy who has murder in his heart. And it says he's a thief who steals and kills and destroys. I was doing uh, my own soap in John. We're reading through, and I was reading through John chapter 8. And look what it says in John chapter 8. We just read this this past week. If you're going through the reading plan, look at John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you realize what God is trying to do? He's not trying to hold back your body. He's not trying to hold back your mind. He's not trying to hold back your The things that you want in your heart. He is trying to free you because there's an enemy that is trying to put you in chains. He's trying to steal and steal things. He's offering things, dangling them in front of you, the things that your heart wants, promising that it's going to give you value. He's promising it's going to give you security. He's promising that it's going to make you feel significant and make you feel like you've achieved something. And he's dangling in front of you. And as soon as you get it, get there, he's thieved it right out from under you, stolen it, and you realize it's a mirage. He's trying to stir up the urges of the body, saying if you just get this, your body will stop clamoring for it. And he's offering you things so that when we grab a hold of it, it's just a split second that it satisfies, and then we just need it all over again even more. He's like, I'm trying to free you, Jesus is saying, from this this cycle over and over and over. He's saying, I'm trying to free you, your mind, so that you can experience things that are beyond your understanding. Christian, Christian, You are in a war. There's a battle. And the most dangerous part of the battle is so often Christians are anesthetized, numbed from realizing every single day you are in a spiritual battle. It's not, hey, keep this in mind for when you're tempted one day. For when there's lies being whispered in your ear one day. That's this afternoon and tomorrow. You are in a war. And the Bible says this about itself. This is your sword in the battle. This is how you fight back and you defend yourself and fight back against the enemy. This is the source of pure truth that we can follow in the footsteps of our Savior and do the battle that is waging against you, Christian, a battle that wants to destroy you, your body, your heart, your mind, your family, every part of you trying to destroy you, this is the weapon you have been given to fight back. Christian, it's not about being a little more spiritual not about, well, I'll get a little more religion. It's desperation. This is your weapon. It's not, can we inspire you enough to read the Bible Monday morning, tomorrow morning? It's are you still reading it on Thursday? And in June? And in 2024? And on one day when you're at death's door facing your final battle, will you be clutching your Scripture to your heart, holding on to the promises that something greater is through death's door? Are you holding on to Scripture through the battle? Are you holding on to the Scripture that reminds you of how this battle ends? Can I read you what it says in Revelation Can I remind you how this battle ends? Because even though we have a battle, Christian, can I remind you that you've already won the battle through Jesus? Let me read you the day that is coming in Revelation. It's in 19. This is from the Scripture. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse He knew what the Scripture said. He knew what the Scripture said about him. He didn't need to bow down to the devil to know who he was. Do you know who you are? Sons and daughters of God. Go run to the Word and know who you are. This is your sword in the battle. And may God make us into people who know his word and hide it in our hearts. Let me pray over you today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, I pray over every single person that's here today. I pray over every single person that's watching online. You are their heavenly father. Draw us into the word, Jesus, please. We need it. We confess that we've just left it aside as a chore that we don't have time for. It's our sword, and we're in a battle. I pray that today is a turning point in the history of this church, that in every single home and every single life, we would be people of your word and cling to it and realize victory in the battle you've already won. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.